Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, we are counting down the top 10 Disney animated songs of all time. And basically, the only thing I can guarantee about this episode is that oh, we're yes. going to make somebody mad. We're going to make a lot of people yeah, mad. Yeah, that's basically the only thing I can guarantee because to try to take all of the incredible songs from all of the Disney, and we're keeping it to Disney, Disney animated movies throughout the years, and distill that down to 10 songs some songs gonna get left off the list. And I will say one of my absolute most favorite songs is not on our list. So I, we tried to be as like objective as we could be within a certain, I think sometimes I tend to be harder on things. I like to try to overcompensate for the fact that I like them too much. I mean, look at this. We haven't even started and we've already made Angela mad because her <laughs> favorite song isn't on the list. So again, guaranteed we're going to make some other people mad, but we want to hear where we went wrong. So be sure after you listen to this, head over to our Facebook page, Enchanted Ears, and let us know which song you love that you think should have made the top 10. But before we get into our list, as always, let's cover the Disney news of the week. So Disney announced at Walt Disney World, Remy's Ratatouille Adventure will actually be moving off of the virtual queue uh, starting January 10th. Once this happens, there will actually be no attractions at Walt Disney World using virtual queues anymore because Rise of the Resistance moved off of it and now Remy's is moving off of it. Um, I think it's interesting they made a big deal about the virtual queues and now it's gone, but you can still pay for the lightning lane. So I don't know if they're trying to get more people to, to pay for it, um, but you will not have to wake up anymore at 7 a.m. to try to get on these rides. Yeah, that was going to be my theory is that they are trying to get rid of the virtual queue because it cuts into the profits that they can make on, you know, Disney Genie Plus and Lightning Lane and stuff like that, which is, again, a bit. Ugh. Yeah, I'm not sure. They said they said Yucky. it can come back at any time. I mean, definitely January, February, like this time period is definitely a slower time period for crowds after coming out of the holidays here. So, you know, they, they did say it can come back at any time. I do kind of have mixed emotions about this. It is like a bit bittersweet that there's nothing on virtual queue because to a certain extent, I know a lot of people didn't care for the virtual queue because you had to get up at 7 a.m. You had to make a selection. If you didn't get it, you weren't riding at all because there was no standby option. You know, they, they did then open the standby lane. But to a certain extent, I did kind of like it when it was a blended approach when you could try to get the virtual queue, but then you had a standby option. I think that's kind of the best approach because I didn't mind getting up. I mean, it kind of guaranteed you a spot. You kind of knew when you were going to go back. Um, but now like to your, to your point, now you have to pay to be able to do that. So it does seem like it's an additional way to it's kind a, of get it's more a cash money. grab. Yeah. I, and I think also, you know, for, for us and for you, I think you like to be the in control of your own destiny and that virtual queuing. I mean, if you're there and you're, you're on it, you've had, you had a hundred percent success and every time you ever tried to do it because you were just diligent about making sure you got on at exactly seven. So it is a bit frustrating. Um, you know, I'm sure that some people weren't and they missed out, but it is kind of, you know, that's frustrating. Now, if it were me doing it, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would be excited about it moving off of that but again i don't want to pay i don't want to pay to ride a ride at disney i already pay an admission ticket so yeah and again you can still stand in the, in the standby line and i do know since disney genie has come out and lightning lane has come out i mean there have been reports you know some at disneyland whenever they just released disney genie that that wait times have gone up lines have gone up so you know part of this also could be that disney's still trying to figure out the right mix of 
how many people to have as lightning lanes, how many people to have as standby, and just trying to also factor in virtual queue just made it too much. It could also be that there's no demand for it, that you know they don't need a virtual queue, that they can you know just do standby and lightning lanes. So but yeah, it's interesting that you know, virtual queue was a huge thing. It seemed like everything was going to virtual queue there for a little bit, that that was going to be the only way you got on every attraction, and now it's gone. So I, I do think it is nice, though, that you can do a standby line again for all of these rides. So we'll see if it ever comes back or um, if virtual queue is just like a little blip. I know that, I mean, some of the rides that were formerly virtual queues, I mean, they're down to things sometimes like 20 minutes. So, I mean... That also is something to, to keep in mind that you can maybe get off and potentially get right back on. So that's better than virtual queue. Yeah, it so. is. You can, you can ride Remy multiple times a day now. You can ride Rise of the Resistance multiple times a day now. Right. You're right. Yeah, it's. I think from a guest satisfaction perspective, it makes sense. And that's probably also a driving factor here where, again, we saw it. I mean, when we were in line for Remy, people were walking up and they go, oh, no, you had to get a virtual queue. And they're like, what are you talking about? I have no idea what that means. And they're like, right. well... You know, you miss seven o'clock, you can try again at one, but that's the only way you can get on this attraction. And a lot of people, now that more and more guests are coming back, they're not the diehard Disney fans that are planning that, you know, plan these trips six, nine months in advance that know all of the in and outs. And it's complicated enough that if you come in, it's like you have to get a virtual queue. That's your only option. It is very frustrating. So I, I could see them switching off of that for that reason. And the last thing I want to touch on is that somebody at Pixar has extremely angered Disney, <laughs> uh, or they stole some sort of cursed object, or have been cursed somehow. Um, they're basically living in their own Disney movie, where you know they're they're now cursed. I feel like I feel like they're uh, like a you know Beauty and the Beast. They're like the enchanted objects that you know somehow they got cursed by a witch, uh, and they need true love to save them. Uh, because for the third straight Pixar movie, Turning Red, Disney just announced will be not released in theaters and it'll be going straight to Disney plus on March 11th. So this is the third Pixar movie that has not had a theatrical release. And, you know, in Disney's press release, they kind of talked about that families aren't fully ready to go back to the movie theaters and, you know, they want to offer great content on Disney plus, but it's really hard to kind of take that and then not see how all of the Walt Disney animated movies had theatrical releases. So uh, most recently, Encanto was re released theatrically. Uh, even Raya, while it was on Disney+, Plus, it was part of the premium rental, so you had to pay extra for it. So it really seems like that they're kind of just throwing you know Pixar out there for free. That It's either a couple of things. I think, one, they have really good research that families love Pixar movies in particular, and so this is a way to keep subscribers and grow subscribers because they have been having slower subscriber growth or two. And I think we'll see what happens with Lightyear to determine this. Yeah. Disney's starting to see Pixar as kind of their second tier studio, almost like in the nineties where you had Walt Disney animation that made all the, the theatrical releases. And then you had uh, kind of the, you know, TV animation studio that was kind of like the second tier. And it's almost like, is Disney starting to see Pixar's at that they're, oh, they're just our streaming service. And then Disney animation is the one that goes theatrically. But this is, I mean, it's crazy. It's hard not to see this and think like, what is going on over there that Disney hates Pixar? Yeah, it, I mean, this was, I was a little flabbergasted. I actually um, saw this when they announced it on Instagram and I'm like, wait, did, did we know this already that it was going to go straight to Disney plus? But yeah, I had a similar thought of just, you know, why are they doing this? This looks like a really promising movie with a really great theme of kind of, you know, again, letting that pressure off of yourself and letting yourself, 
you know, be who you really are. So I, I, I was curious about that. But yeah, I think you might be right. Maybe there's some behind the scenes, you know, research uh, that we're not seeing maybe that would give us a clue as to why they are choosing to do this to Pixar. Because again, you know, a lot of people, I know a lot of people, I know people who like Pixar far more than they like Disney too. So it's like, why? Well, again, and that's the thing. And, and maybe, again, they know that people like Pixar movies better on Disney Plus and they're trying to dr- drive subscribers. You know, I, I do want to give Disney the benefit of the doubt a little bit that some of this could just be unfortunate timing where the timing of the Pixar movies versus the Disney animated movies kind of played into where you had uh, Soul come out free on Disney Plus in Christmas, and then Raya was in March, so they wanted to test out the premium rental. Right. Maybe that didn't work too well, so they went with Luca again free. And then you had Encanto go with the theatrical release. I mean, it did okay in the theaters, but it didn't probably do as well as they thought it was going to do. And so they decided, okay, we're going to do Turning Red as straight to Disney+. Plus. We're not even going to put it in the theaters to help drive support. So it could be part of that. I, I kind of want to give them the benefit of the doubt there. But it, it is the optics of it does seem kind of crazy that it's three straight Pixar movies. Don't get theatrical releases where you have some Disney movies getting them. Again, I think now the key thing to look at is going to be Lightyear that comes out this summer because that is a highly anticipated movie. It's not like it's an original story with no existing IP like Turning Red is or Soul or Luca was. So if that one gets pulled from the theaters or doesn't get some sort of premium release, I think then there's probably no hope for Pixar going forward of, I don't want to say no hope, but I really think that they're just going to become the streaming movie service after that. Well, this really worries me because, you know, as you were talking about even what happened with Encanto, you know, it was out for, what, a month that just in theaters and then they moved it immediately to Disney Plus. And I was really shocked by that move. And it's almost like... Well, that's the new model they're doing with all the movies. I mean, all the major movie studios are doing this now where... But they're not doing it with Marvel. It's 45 days. Uh, I mean, Shang-Chi had that. Shang-Chi had, I think, a pretty short window um, now, obviously, Spider-Man is different because it's owned by Sony, so that's not going to be coming to Disney+. Plus. But Disney's plan is definitely to put all of their movies, um, you know, where it used to be six months or something before it come up on a streaming service. All of these things have gotten, uh, you know, a tighter window theatrically where it's going to be 45 or 90 days. It just worries me because I want these, you know, unique intellectual properties to have the opportunity to flourish. And what I'm worried about is that the movie theater, what's going to be relegated to movie theaters now is proven IP, you know, sequels and things that have we know are going to be big blockbusters as opposed to, you know, taking a flyer on a movie that people need to see and trusting that the viewer will go out and see it and love it and recommend it to their friends. Yeah, and that's what I've seen a lot of people say, oh, you know, Turning Red, it's an original story. You know, it's not proven. Disney only puts proven stuff in theaters. But Encanto wasn't, you know, an existing story. That wasn't a sequel. That wasn't proven. So I I think that's not maybe a valid argument there because, you know, Encanto is not a proven property and they still kind of put that out in theaters. I do think a lot of it comes down to People, especially families, aren't going to movie theaters right now, which I completely understand that. Uh, again, it's just we'll, we'll wait and see uh, what happens with Lightyear here going forward. All right, so let's jump into our list here. Now, again, these are all from Disney animated movies, and it's the top 10 individual songs. We did the top soundtracks a few years ago, so be sure to go back and listen to that episode if you want to hear about overall soundtracks, our rankings there. But these are top 10 individual songs. So we'll start with number 10, and it's I Won't Say I'm In Love from the movie Hercules. 
first off, just have to have to say that Alan Menken is a powerhouse. I mean, as a, of a composer, he wrote most of the songs on the list. David Zipp- uh, Zippo is the one who wrote the, the lyrics and it is performed by Susan Egan. So the thing I like about this song, and it's always stuck with me, you know, Hercule- Hercules isn't one of my most favorite movies. There are some really good songs though. Uh, Go the Distance is a really good song, but this one always stood out to me because I liked the character of Megara. She was probably one of the sassiest and maybe not necessarily likable female characters. Like she was likable, but she wasn't your typical sweet girl and so she always stuck she had more out. of a personality I want to say it, it wasn't like right. she was just the damsel in distress and that was the whole thing about it too it's right. like most most frequently in these movies the female character is yeah, the one she's in distress or she needs saving and she's like hey I don't need saving that's what this whole song is about too like you know, I don't right. need a man, but that doesn't, but I'm still in love with them anyways. Like it, yeah. it's this struggle yeah. she has. Hercules tries to be woke, but I, I do think that Hercules still fails in a lot of aspects as far as, you know, female empowerment, empowerment's and concern. But this particular song, yeah, it, it exactly what Joe was saying is it's just, you know, she doesn't want to admit that she has feelings for Hercules because she's been burned before. And also she's in the middle of a terrible conflict where she has feelings for Hercules, but she's also working for Hades. So it's the push and pull of the song is great. Plus you have the uh, muses singing part of it as well. So it's just a really, it's a, it's a, it's a bop. Yeah. And I will say this song is probably more popular than the entire movie of Hercules. Like I think this (laughs) is, has carried more weight and that's what, you know, before we get into the next one, just kind of talk about how we approach this too. So, you know, looking at these songs, we looked at, popularity of the song, the impact the song has on moving the story forward. Because, you know, there's a lot of great songs, but they don't necessarily push a plot forward or they don't necessarily, uh, you know, reveal anything about the character's kind of inner struggle. So, you know, those didn't make the list. So, so we tried to look at those, look at award winners. And you mentioned Alan Menken. I mean, he's all over this list. He was kind of, he's like the Lin-Manuel before Lin-Manuel. Um, and Lin-Manuel's spoiler alert, has a song on this list, and he's actually working with Alan Menken to write the songs for the new Little Mermaid movie. So the two of them are teaming up for that. (laughs) So I'm sure there'll be some songs uh, from that movie that's live action, now not animated, but that that make this list. And one final thing, um, you know, before we move on to number nine that I like about this song is the last line. So she there admits that she's in love. And I like that part. I think it's really sweet. And yeah, I like this song a lot. All right. So number nine on the list is Friend Like Me from Aladdin. This is another one from Alan Menken uh, with lyrics by Howard Ashman. Uh, this one, I think, again, it's it's a iconic song. Uh, it was performed by Robin Williams. It is this huge show-stopping number, but it also is a great introduction for the genie as a character. So not only is this song you know, musically catchy and memorable, but it also is moving the story forward. It's providing a backstory for the genie. It gives you, you know, in a few minutes, you understand the genie's uh, backstory, where he's coming from, the powers he has. You know, it does a great job of showing you everything he can do without him saying, you know, oh, I'm an all-powerful genie, but he's showing 
all the tricks. He's going through all of his characters. You get an idea for his personality. And so it's... And it mentions one of the best baked goods in the whole world, baklava. It does. It does mention... <laughs> it does mention baklava. You're right. So it's doing a lot of like heavy lifting on a lot of different fronts. And so that kind of like layered nuance to the song that like, as you're watching it, the more times you listen to it, you, you see it's doing more and more. Uh, it just gets better and better every time you see it. So that's why it's number nine on our list. This is one of the ones that's hugely helped out by the animations. I mean, watching it, like watching the movie really helps to add to the song. You can listen to the song, but if you watch the movie with it, uh, because there's so much that Robin Williams kind of ad libbed and they animated that and didn't necessarily put it into the lyrics. Yeah, that that's a good point too. This, and that's why it's lower on our list. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean it's it is a beautiful blend of the animation and lyrics, but yeah, to your point, it's a li- it's nine on our list because the animation is doing some of the heavy lifting, right. but it still is an incredible song. Okay. Number eight is probably one of my personal favorites. Um, I used to walk around singing this all the time. It's I'll Make a Man Out of You from Mulan. It's composed by Matthew Wilder, so we haven't had him yet, with lyrics by David Zippel and performed by Donny Osmond. So I think that this song is so great because it significantly moves the plot forward in Mulan uh, because it's the kind of like Mulan gets tough song. And if you think about the lyrics, you know, a lot of this, I kind of have difficulty with this song because the whole song is about how he's going to make these guys tough and how he needs men and how he you know did you send me daughters when I asked for sons but if you think about this movie as a whole Shang it kind of represents the the change he goes through because he thinks you have to be a man to be tough and by the end of the movie he realizes Mulan is the toughest of them all so you don't have to be a man and it's so it, it kind of plays with that idea of masculinity as well of, you know, you can, you don't have to fit into a specific box to be tough. And I, so I like that, but I also love the voices that come in that are besides Donny Osmond's voice, you know, you have other characters adding, and there's actually several songs in Mulan that do this where some of the other characters kind of add their own two cents. But I think that this song overall is just a really good, exciting beautiful song so i think it definitely stands out as my favorite um from mulan and it also has one of the most iconic starts to a song And that's and that kind of comes into play too with a lot of these songs is you know how iconic and memorable is the melody in the song itself. So I mean this one everybody knows if you say to any Disney fan, let's get down to business, they're like immediately going to start going into it like yep, to with, defeat the Hans. with the beat and like yep. to defeat the Hans. Like everybody knows the way this song starts, and so again that kind of plays into it as well. That you're right. There's there's a good theme. It kind of encapsulates the themes of the movie. It kind of is a a social commentary to an extent, but it's also just an iconic beat that everybody remembers as well. So um, yeah, it definitely deserves to be on the top 10 list. I don't know. Maybe you could disagree with me. We think it deserves to be on the top 10 (laughs) list. All right. So number seven is from Pocahontas. I don't think many people will disagree with this one. Yeah. And it's Colors of the Wind. Again, another Alan Menken song, lyrics by Stephen Schwartz and sung by Judy Kuhn. So, you know, Pocahontas isn't necessarily a movie that is super popular throughout time. I mean, it's definitely one that, that I feel like Disney fans know, but I don't feel like it's one that didn't necessarily do well in the box office when it came out. Um, and so, 
you don't really see Pocahontas represented a lot, but it did have a lot of great songs. And Colors of the Wind is a great one. It's all about uh, nature. It's this beautiful ballad that that they that Disney wrote for this. Right. And I, my favorite lyrics in this song are: You think you own whatever land you land on. The earth is just a dead thing you can claim. But I know every rock and tree and creature has a life, has a spirit, has a name. And so, I mean, it does. It, it, it goes into this theme of this push and pull between the, the white men who come in and try to claim the land and kick the Native Americans off and the Native Americans who view land very differently where everyone shares the land. It doesn't belong to anyone. It's the land. You can't own it. And they have a more personal relationship with it. Yeah, and and this song uh, as well was it was a huge song. It won three different awards. It won an Academy Award for Best Original Song. It won a Grammy, and it also won a Golden Globe uh, as well. So, again, a multi-award winner, a great ballad, a great kind of commentary. It talks about the themes of the movie as well, um, which is great. Kind of gives you more context. And also, fun fact: Blue Corn Moon is not a real thing, actually. <laughs> So if you've ever heard a wolf cry to a blue corn moon, the answer is no, because there is no blue corn moon. Yeah. So this was from a, it's not, it's loosely from a Native American poem. So Schwartz liked the sound of it. And it was, I will come to you in the moon of a, of green corn. So, but he changed it and he liked the way it sounded. And now there is generations of children, including myself, who thinks a blue corn moon is a real thing <laughs> that a wolf howls to. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason, though, why this movie doesn't hold up as well, because you have, a, am assuming, a white man, um, you know, making up something that sounds like it's Native American and then perpetuating, you know, a, something that's not true. So that's part of the reason why Pocahontas doesn't quite hold up as well as some of the other ones. Number six is How Far I'll Go from Moana, written and produced by our friend Lin-Manuel Miranda. I'm going to start calling him that. I think that that would be, you know... Just like The Rock. I, I'd, maybe. I'd take him to be our friend. That's I would fine too. with me. I would too. Yeah. So, and this is sung by, and I always uh, do really bad at saying her name, Alui Cravalho. She has, I think probably of all of the, I think probably of any Disney, anyone, she has the best voice. I think her voice is so wonderful and clear and powerful. It just makes the song so epic. Uh, it returns. It has a couple uh, reprises throughout because again she's this is her I want song this is you know her saying I feel like I need to be this specific thing I need to be the perfect daughter I need to help run the town why can't I be like everybody else why do I have this desire to leave so it's it represents that struggle that she has and I think a lot of us you know it might not be to leave an island but a lot of us have that where we think that what is what we feel like we're supposed to do is different than what we want. And so I think that that is what makes this song so powerful and, again, so critical to the plot. Yeah, and this is, I think, the first song that's sung by the main character is like the true I want song. Colors of the Wind is sung by Pocahontas, but it's not necessarily like the traditional I want song that's kind of driving it. It's it's kind of more... And you mean just, this is the first I want song on our list. Yeah, on our list. Exactly. Yeah. So this is kind of the first one. I just think it's interesting. You know, we had like Friend Like Me, I Won't Say I'm In Love, I'll Make a Man Out of You. Those are all sung by kind of the side characters, uh, not necessarily the main character. But yeah, this is a, is a good example of that like I want song that really is getting you into the mind of Moana and, and where she's coming from. I will say Moana has a lot of great songs that do this. I mean, You're Welcome is, a, is another great song that... So good. 
very much like friend like me explains Maui's backstory and gives you a good introduction within a couple minutes. You understand who he is, his personality, where he's coming from. Um, again, it's and just, I think it's, that personally, that's probably my out of the two. It's probably my more favorite song. But I think that as far as musically, I think this is probably the better. Yeah, song. It's, just, it's just not as strong. You know, you're welcome. It's just not as strong a song as how far I'll go. And I don't think it's as strong a song even as friend like me. It's definitely in the same vein. I think friend like me does it better, though. But yeah, so Moana has a lot of great songs. No surprise with Linda Noel Miranda there. But yeah, how far <laughs> I go uh, is a great example of just encapsulating what the whole movie is about. So moving into number five, so this is kind of another I Want song, again, a, a power ballad, a power song sung by a main character, sung by a great voice. So it's Into mm-hmm. the Unknown from Frozen 2, sung by Idina Menzel, uh, written by Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez. If you saw the making of documentary, you know this was a, a integral part to the movie as they were trying to write this song, you know, trying to crack this song and, and get everything going. I think we both feel this is a better song and follow up than Let It Go. Which is tough because Let It Go was an incredible song, but this didn't have as big commercial success. Like they weren't playing on the radio. I I think that's why we think it's it's a little bit better because yeah, Let It Go almost became so overplayed that you were kind of like, I'm kind of over this song. Whereas yeah, Into Into the Unknown, I feel is it's more, it's a stronger song musically, Lyrically, it's just there's so much more emotion, I feel like, in Into the Unknown. It shows an advancement in the character, too, in that it seems like Elsa has kind of everything she wants, but there's still something calling to her and calling to her, and she needs to kind of she's dealing with that. Like I have to give up my life to, to chase this down. And this, this song also has that ethereal quality, which is added by the addition of Aurora, who is also a singer that does that. So I, I think that that calling to her is also, you know, a really beautiful part of the song. This song also is interesting because, you know, a lot of us, we get into this groove. We get into kind of a groove and, and you know, we're very comfortable. And this song is really all about moving outside of that comfort zone because you feel like there's something more that you're meant to do. And so I think that, you know, this is a a really relevant and topical song because I think a lot of people, you know, get stuck in these ruts or you think... I'm not happy in my job. I think I could do more or do something more meaningful. And I feel like this is the... It's like something's calling to me. Something's calling right. for me to do more. So not even necessarily that you're kind of stuck in a comfort zone, but it's almost like you have everything you thought you wanted, but yet now you feel the pull for something more. Something yeah. out there is calling you that you that you realize, maybe I'm not yeah. fulfilling my purpose. And it's And it's scary, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't you shouldn't go to it. And and to your point, I think it's a good thing, especially for young kids to see in a movie that sometimes you do have to get out of your comfort zone. Sometimes, you know, now, you know, don't like run to strangers or something like that. (laughs) But, but like you, you have to, to, to a certain extent, try following your passion. You know, if, if it's maybe a little bit uncomfortable, that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad because maybe there's something better that you'll get from, from going out of your comfort zone. So it's definitely, it's good for adults to hear. It's good for kids to hear. I mean, it's, it's a powerful song um, that works on a lot of levels. Kind of in that same vein, it leads us to our number four song of, hey, everything may seem all right, but it's not, but that's okay. And this is Surface Pressure from Encanto uh, by Lin-Manuel Miranda, another Lin-Manuel Miranda song, uh, and sung by Jessica Darrow. 
Yeah, and I kind of fought for this one. Joe and I definitely talked about this a lot, but I think that this song is so meaningful to not only just the movie, because this is essentially, you know, if you haven't seen the movie yet, definitely go see it, maybe fast forward. But this is the song that that this is where Mirabelle knows she's not crazy, that, that there is really something going on with the house Madrigal and that there's something that she needs to take care of. And so she learns this through her sister, Louisa, who is struggling with her powers and also struggling with just expectation. And so that's what this song is all about. It's about you feel like you are supposed to do something. You're supposed to kind of like in Moana, you know, you're supposed to live up to a certain expectation, but there's a constant drip that will never stop. And it just keeps ticking and ticking and ticking along. And, and you feel that pressure just building and building and it feels like there's no way out and you can't find that joy that you want to access because everybody else thinks that they know what you should be doing. Um, and you have to live up to that. And I think that this is something that a lot of kids struggle with. I know when I was a kid, I really struggled with that, you know, wanting to be perfect and wanting to fit what I thought everybody else needed me and wanted me to be. And so I think putting this in a movie is a perfect lesson for children that, you know what, hey, sometimes you just need to take a step back and maybe talk, talk it out, maybe talk to somebody and let them know you're feeling this way. And, you know, with, with this, and again, it's a newer song, but it has kind of taken on a bit of cultural phenomenon and, and people have started to use this as an anthem for older children, for what they've been feeling or perfectionists or people like that, where a lot of people, like, like you mentioned, feel like this, where they feel the pressure, but they feel like I have to put on a front because I'm the older sibling. And I, have I have to be stronger. Yeah, I have to be stronger or, you know, I have to feel like everything has to be perfect and, and I can't show any cracks. And, you know, it started to take off and you see it like it started to take off. People are using it on TikTok and people are using it to, to start conversations. And I think it's interesting that, you know, Lin-Manuel wrote this song and also How Far I'll Go, which is kind of about the same thing of mm-hmm. challenging expectations and that internal struggle you have of what I'm supposed to be to other people, but yet what I want to be and my vulnerabilities and things. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely, it's a newer song, but there's definitely a lot of meaning behind it. Yeah. Um, it definitely deserves to be on this list. So yeah, we have it at number four. And something, you know, we mentioned that on TikTok, it became kind of a thing, especially with older siblings, um, you know, feeling that pressure to be perfect. And Lin-Manuel Miranda actually said that he, you know, he mentioned what what kind of the meaning of the song is to him. And he said, so this is in quotes, I'm the baby of the family. I have a sister who's six years older and she got a raw deal. That song is a love letter and apology to my sister for having it easier. I watched my sister deal with the pressure of being the oldest and carrying burdens I never had to carry. I put all that angst and all those moments into Louisa. I mean, when you think about it in those contexts, that context as well, it makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of pressure to be set the example, a lot of pressure to help with the younger siblings. And so Louisa has that on top of it. And it's definitely a song that could appeal and does appeal to those older siblings because they have that. So at number three, one that tugs at my heartstrings is You Will Be In My Heart by Phil Collins. So this song gives me all the feels. It's very rare that I don't tear up when I'm listening to it. I tear up sometimes even now, like when I'm talking about it, I'm starting to, I can feel, you know, my emotions are kind of coursing. I don't have kids, but I imagine it, I can imagine it. And I, I can, I can think about just how heartfelt this song would be. You know, the lines come stop your crying. It will be all right. Just take my hand and hold it tight. I will protect you from all around you. And like, I can't even read anymore because I, I, I think I would just, you know, 
collapse into a puddle of sobs because it is just so heartfelt that idea of wanting to protect your child and what makes it even I think kind of almost more beautiful is that Kala sings this to Tarzan to calm down like to calm him down and he's not you know her own kind she's a gorilla and he's a human but she brings him in and adopts him and still has these very strong feelings of love and connection with him which just it's just so um so beautiful and you know it's kind of goes with that meme that Phil Collins just went so hard for all of us because I mean, he, this song is just such a great anthem. Yeah. There's so many great songs in Tarzan. And like you said, I mean, Phil Collins did an incredible job with, with the music there. Um, and this is definitely kind of the top song from that album. You'll be in my heart. Like you said, it's, it's a beautiful love song. It's very emotional, but not a romantic love song. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very emotional. Like you're saying, you know, if you have children, I mean, even if you are a child, like even if you don't have children and you are a child, like you can understand like that, that love. love. Yeah. Yeah. That parents love between, you know, children and their parents and everything. So it, it definitely plays on a lot of levels. The song won a lot of awards. It won uh, a golden globe and an Academy award for best original song. And it, it really is, like you said, it's not only this love between parent and child, but they're not even both human. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so it's just that, you know, that, almost that love kind of can transcend anything essentially. And it is just an incredibly powerful uh, and moving song. So number two on our list is circle of life from the Lion King. It's composed by Elton John with lyrics by Tim Rice and sung by Carmen Twilly and Lebo M. So, you know, this one is an iconic song. And I think why this one makes the list and why it's so high on the list is because as soon as the beat starts, you know exactly what song it is. You don't even need the beat. It's just the female voice. You know immediately what song it is. You know immediately what movie it is. It kind of takes you to a time and place. It almost takes you back to your childhood. You feel like you're on Pride Rock. It really is an anthem for The Lion King as a whole. It sets the tone for the movie musically. It sets the tone for the movie, you know, visually as you're watching it. And you kind of, it just, it transports you anytime you hear that. And so not only is it iconic, but it is the perfect song to kind of start The Lion King, which is, uh, an incredible movie and has really been impactful and one of the you know best movies Disney's made over the past you know twenty or thirty years. Yeah, and so it, it also sets the theme of the movie. I mean, that is the entire what the movie is about is the circle of life. It it gets brought up many many times throughout the movie, and so this song is all about that. It also does a really good job, you know, as Joe was mentioning, of transporting you into the setting because you feel it feels very distinctly African. You know, the, the Zulu chants in the background that Lebo M wrote has a different sound to it than all other Disney songs because it 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 very much placed it in Africa. And this song, you know, has some of the most it's talking about animations, the animations that are with it are probably some of the most iconic and beautiful in all of Disney with, and it's pretty impressive because that was in 1994, but there's a lot of realism in the animals that are animated for it. And the colors because the sun is rising during it is, are just gorgeous. This song was nominated for an Academy award for best song, 
but it was beat out by Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Which was incredible that it got beat <laughs> yeah. out by another song from the same movie. Exactly. But I think this one could very easily, I think that they this one and number one could duel it out and on various days they can switch because I think that the top two songs are just so well done. Um, so I think that's so iconic too. Yeah. And I think that our listeners probably, if you really think about it, could guess what our number one song is. It's not too much of a surprise that our number one song from Beauty and the Beast is Be Our Guest, which is also composed by Alan Menken, lyrics by Howard Ashman, and sung by Jerry Orbach and Angela Lansbury. Yes. Yeah, so like you said, I think these two songs, one and two, are probably two of the most iconic songs from recent uh, Disney movies. Um, and like you said, they, they could probably kind of go back and forth between one and two. But in the same way, everybody knows Circle of Life from the opening moments of it and it kind of transports you there. I feel like everybody knows Be Our Guest as soon as that song starts. It's probably, I mean, Beauty and the Beast, sung by Angela Lansbury as well, is another iconic song from that movie, but I feel like Be Our Guest is even above that. Right. Um, it, because it, it includes it includes kind of all of the characters. And again, it, it does a great job of introducing you to the world of Beauty and the Beast. It explains what's going on in this castle. You see that all the plates and everything, like everything is turned to life and it kind of helps explain to you what's going on. But they're also very happy that Bell's there, that they finally have a guest. So it kind of fills in some backstory and kind of explains the song. And it's an incredible song. Again, it's just an extremely iconic song that you want to just sing along to as soon as it starts playing. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's never a time. And this is why, you know, when I did this, I like when I was looking at Circle of Life and Be Our Guest, there is never a time where I'm not in the mood to sing Be Our Guest, but there are times where I'm not in the mood to sing Circle of Life. So I think that that's really what determined it for me, which one was the better song, just because, you know, this song is just like purely it's just so, so happy. Like it's, it's happy. I mean, there's definitely a, you know, an undertone of we've been stuck in here and we're captives and, and these, you know, terrible like bodies because we're we're enchanted but they are so happy to have somebody there to entertain and I love the singing by Jerry Orbach who is the voice of Lumiere it's a very showy tune which is appropriate because he was actually a Broadway actor so um you know it was it was excellent he did all the voicing of Lumiere until he died and this song actually won the best music original score in the 92 Oscars and this song really interestingly was actually originally written and intended for Maurice. So when Maurice arrived at the castle, they were going to sing it to him and they actually decided that it would make more sense if they sang it to Belle. And so they actually left most of the lyrics the same. And if you think about it, it didn't matter who they were singing it to. Yeah, it was actually intended for Maurice. Another great thing about this song is, you know, it, it varies in tempo. So it's to your point, it's, it's very musical. It's very show tuney. Um, you could see this as a Broadway number. I mean, they've turned Beauty and the Beast and stuff into a stage show and things. But you know, when the movie came out, it it very much plays out like a huge Broadway number where it varies in, in tempo and tone. You know, Lumiere goes into his uh, like monologue part of it. Life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. He's not whole without a soul to wait upon. Ah, those good old days when we were useful. Suddenly those good old days are gone. To your point, you get that they're happy that people are there, but 
when they kind of slow it down, you do kind of get like the pain a little bit that they're feeling of being these enchanted objects. Like you said, it kind of is conveying like that, that varying emotion to it, you know, and, and it's very much fits in with, with the tone of the movie. You, you do get a French feeling to, I think they have the Eiffel tower and the animation and everything like that. So it definitely plays to the setting as well. Yeah. I, I tried to look up, you know, what music, it, cause there's something that sounds kind of like an accordion. I, so I tried to look up and see if that was actually an accordion in it because it, there is something about it that makes it sound very French. And it's interesting because everywhere I could find, I could not find, it said it was played with a piano. So I don't know if it's like a piano that had the accordion sound to it, you know, like a keyboard, but it, it does sound very French. And um, speaking of being very French, this song actually shares a lot in common with Les Poissons from The Little Mermaid. So this is the song that the chef sings as he's preparing the crabs and then he finds Sebastian. So Les Poissons, Les Poissons, Les Poissons. It's the same song. It's the same melody. Um, it does vary. It's not exactly the whole thing, but it is interesting that they kind of brought that melody back and developed it to become be our guest. Yeah, it's all Alan Menken too. So exactly. I mean, he did Little Mermaid as well. So yeah, he plagiarized so, himself there a little bit. Yeah. All right. So that's it. That's that's our list. That's our top ten. Again, let us know what you think of the list. What song you think we should add? What song we think we got wrong? Head over to our Facebook page, Enchanted Ears. And also, we have a few honorable mentions. You know, um, I think a lot of people will probably automatically come at us for having nothing from the Little Mermaid. And part of our world was definitely part of our list for a very long time. Um, it just, I think that we eventually kind of got to the point where we were like, I think some of these other songs maybe would be, or maybe just a little bit better. And most lists include that as top five, let alone top 10. So that's a great song. Almost There from Princess and the, the Frog is another good one. I See the Light from Tangled. Be Prepared from The Lion King is my one that I was talking about how it's not on our list, but we don't actually have any villain songs on here, which I think definitely it's, it's, it's rough. But again, we didn't want to try to make it too one movie heavy. So we kind of took out be prepared or I didn't want to put it on there. So yeah, there's a ton of songs that are absolutely amazing that we had to bypass on. I want to thank everybody again for listening this week. If you've not done so, please leave us a rating or a review. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. It really helps and we really appreciate it. Thanks for letting us your ears. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you here next Monday. Bye-bye.